begin by reading to you from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 22. And the reason I selected this passage to speak on today is because of the baptisms that we're gonna be going to be witnessing. What is the purpose of public baptism? What message is it meant to communicate to the viewer, to the hearer who are witnessing it, and what is it meant to communicate? What does the scripture communicate to the person being baptized as to its significance for them? I began this worship service by reading to you from Matthew chapter 10, and so you can keep your finger in 1 Peter 3 if you're there, but let me just repeat something that Jesus said to his disciples. And Matthew 10 is the great discipleship chapter of Matthew's gospel. And right in the middle of this statement from our Lord Jesus, he says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I came not to bring peace with it, but a sword. Wait, 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 you, wait, 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 Jesus. You mean that when I am embraced by your grace and I embrace you back, it's not going to be all tiptoes through the tulips from then on? It's not going to be all just a, a wonderful walk in the park? No. You're in a hostile environment. In fact, when you embrace me and we declare peace with one another, I pour out my peace and grace and mercy on, and hope on you, you have also declared war on the world system, its viewpoint, the, your own flesh, your own fallen nature that formerly had completely governed your choices now becomes your enemy, your internal devil's advocate. But thankfully, thank you, God, thank you, God, I will put my Holy Spirit in you so that you can actually walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in defiance of your own fallen nature. Now, it's a struggle. It is a decision made multiple times every day. But you have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, God himself dwelling within you, so that you can walk in the, the Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit directing you. Who wrote this book? God, the Holy Spirit. Guided the pens. Directing you, but also strengthening you. So you can walk in defiance of your own fallen, sinful, wicked, have I made my point, nature. The world becomes your enemy. Your own flesh now is defeatable because you can walk in the spirit and the devil himself will make you a target. And the longer you walk with Christ, the more you can say, oh yeah. <laughs> because Frankly, some strange stuff will come from strange directions that you know you ultimately begin to identify. That's a concerted effort by some wicked intelligence out there attacking me. But you can walk in power 
whoever confesses me before men. What is baptism? What is water baptism? Now, in the first century, in many, in most parts of the world, the, when someone comes to faith in Christ, the first time they will make a public confession of Christ is when they are baptized. That's not always the case, but very often it's the case. And so that word baptism is often attached to taking a public stand for Christ. And when you take that public stand for Christ, whether it's accompanied by that water ritual or not, the impact is the same. You confess me before men, and you know what happens? Jesus starts confessing you before the Father, and suddenly extra power starts channeling to you and through you. Have you ever noticed, if you've been a Christian for a significant amount of time, have you ever noticed that when you are most active in speaking about Jesus to the people around you, you have more power in your life for every other issue? Why? If you confess me before men here in this difficult environment, I'll be speaking for you in heaven. What's the... I mean, if Jesus is my intercessor before the throne of grace, what's the earthly impact? I get strength from heaven that I had not had before. On the other hand, if I am in and if I'm walking through Walmart, and here's an obvious opportunity to speak with somebody about the Lord, I mean, God will just sovereignly put an opportunity in front of you. Let me give you, and I've voiced this before, this is about three years ago, it was just before uh, tax time, and I was in that place in Walmart that is the most misnamed place in all of Walmart called customer service, and I'm in this long line. Well, right beside the customer service is this bank, and there's a guy who works in the bank, and he's going down this line handing out these little flyers. When you get your tax return, bring us the check, and we'll cash the check. And that, of course, this is a way of getting you become one of their customers. And as this guy's coming up the line towards me, the Lord said to me, ask him if he knows me. Well, Lord, this is kind of a, ask him if he knows me. Okay. And so he got to me. And I said, uh, do you know Jesus? Yeah. Oh, great. Then you can recite John 3.16 with me, right? Uh, 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 is that the one that goes, for God so love, for God so love? And so I helped him walk through John 3.16. We, for God so love the world. And so we recited it together. That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't know who we were saying that for around us, but we were saying it for some other people. But then I also found out later we were saying it for him. Because the next time I was in Walmart, this guy saw me and he walks up to me and he says, well, you know, you need to know that I'm a Jehovah's Witness, and Jeho but we believe the same things. I said, no, we don't. <laughs> and so I was able to explain to him just briefly, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses really don't understand the gospel and who Jesus is. And so... And But the Lord opened up that door. But what did Jesus have to do? Do it! Yes, I'm just like everybody else. I'm a coward. But I took that public stand. You see 
more power in the rest of the aspects of your walk with Christ as you walk through this fallen enemy world than you would if you had kept your mouth shut because he favors the people who are taking a public stand for him. He stands before the throne of grace as our advocate, our defense attorney with the Father, and he pours out his strength on us. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Let me tell you, that's very important information because I would dare say that a whole lot of people, when they come to faith in Christ, they are so and rightly so, overwhelmed with joy. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I was condemned. Now I'm forgiven. Now I'm welcomed in heaven's courts. They're so excited, and they start to tell the people around them, they, when I was a teenager, 11th grade, is when I really, came to understand the gospel. I was raised in the church. I mean, I had been confirmed four years before. Had to take the test twice because <laughs> I really wasn't interested, but my mother, my mother was interested that I do it, and so I did it. And we hadn't been in church, but all of a sudden I start telling my parents what I had just been learning, and Thank you, God, I was wise enough not to quote this to them. But Matthew 10 was huge for me. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword for man's enemies who will be there of his own household. Thank you, God, I didn't quote that to them. But as we sat at the kitchen table and they're attacking me, that passage was in my mind. This is not a surprise. This hasn't caught God off, off guard. He hasn't made a mistake. This is standard operating procedure. David's own brothers were his enemies. Jesus' own brothers were his enemies. Joseph's own brothers were his enemies. They sold him into slavery. Well, let's not kill him. We can make some money if we sell him into slavery in Egypt. David says in Psalm 27, though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. A man's family will be among, on his enemies list because they made themselves that way. But you're to take up your cross. And these are people who had seen very graphically what crucifixion was. When the Romans crucified people, they would do it at the crossroads. They wanted as many people to witness crucifixions as they possibly could because it was designed to drive terror into you. This is what happens to rebels. Don't you dare. And they got the message. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. You know, Dale Carnegie would be saying, that's not how you win friends and influence people. <laughs> you know, I mean, a whole lot of Jesus' disciples said, okay, goodbye. I'm not doing that cross thing. That sounds painful. Oh, but where does it lead you? Kingdom glory, kingdom glory, kingdom glory. Now we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to see that template comes right down on this passage. 
1 Peter chapter 3, we're talking about Christ's sufferings. Then we're going to talk about Noah's witness and the nature of it. And then Peter's going to take that and put that template down on public baptism. 1 Peter 3.13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? What does Peter, oh, who's going to, if you're doing the good thing, who's going to harm you? Oh, just about everybody. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. The front end is difficult, but the back end is blessing. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. People and institutions will seek to intimidate you. Bob, in his Sunday school class, presented a situation where he was a leader in a church and the new pastor tried to intimidate him into disobeying Jesus Christ in a very graphic, public, horrible way. And Bob stood his ground. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It's not like you're Mr. Somebody. Jesus is Mr. Somebody. And you're going to talk about Jesus. And so even though you're threatened, even though people are trying to intimidate you, you can, just like Jesus before Pilate, don't you know I have power to crucify you or not? You would have no power if it hadn't given, been given you by heaven. We had men in the Christian Men's Job Corps that were in the Kirk County Jail that Jesus said, okay, you're out of here. One guy still had seven months on his sentence, and they just kicked him out. They put a little locator thing on his belt or his, on his ankle, kicked him out. Wait a minute, you can't do that? I still got seven months on my sentence. All we know is orders from above. That were their words. That works. And he was just one instance. But sanctify, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set him apart, not Pilate, not the other intimidators, but sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. What's my reason? Well, let's get on an airplane, fly to Jerusalem, and here's an empty tomb. Plus, we have all the descriptions of the, the resurrections, the cleansing of lepers, the giving sight to the blind, the giving back hearing to the deaf, all of those miracles that Jesus did. And the apostles were so adamant that Jesus had done all those things and he was the resurrected, ascended Lord that of the 12 apostles, 11 of them died martyrs' deaths rather than deny. That's called a powerful witness. If I choose death rather than backing down from my testimony, it doesn't get more powerful than that. But sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason. What's the reason for the hope that is in you? Empty tomb, among other things, with meekness and fear, being respectful, 
having a good conscience and be sure that you don't have to defend bad things. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Bob, I'm going to brag on you. Can I do that again? Sure. (laughs) When Bob walked out of that church where he was being attacked, He was the chairman of the board. When he walked out of that church and went to another church, he didn't know that half the con- that the rest of the congregation knew where he was going. When they went to the next church, when they left there, what was it, half the congregation showed up? 100 people followed him and his wife to the next church. He hadn't told them to do that. He hadn't asked them to do that. But they were loyal to Jesus too. And they saw his bold example and that helped them to embrace boldness as well. And they stood for Christ. They stood for Christ. Having a good conscience, then when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So when a Christian suffers, please don't make the mistake of saying, well, I wonder what he did wrong. Now, sometimes Christians suffer because they do do things wrong. But loyal Christians can expect suffering. They can expect rejection and suffering because they were loyal to Jesus just as Jesus himself suffered, just as David suffered, just as Joseph suffered, just as all of God's people. As Jesus said to the Jews, what prophet did you people not kill? Isaiah was stuffed in a hollow log and sawn in two by order of the king, Manasseh. Jeremiah was kidnapped and taken to Egypt and killed there by defiant Jewish people. Verse 18, for Christ, what's your example? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. That's when he went to the cross. He was there not because of his sins, but because he had none. He was there because of ours. He went there as our representative. I should have been crucified, righteously been crucified. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, in his humanity, but made alive. Now, my New King James says, by the Spirit. It's better in the Spirit, meaning his own Spirit. It's not a reference to the God of the Holy Spirit. It's his own Spirit by which own spirit, the spirit of Christ, and Peter's already established the idea of the spirit of Christ in chapter 1, the spirit of Christ speaking through the Old Testament prophets. And now he's speaking of the spirit of Christ speaking through Noah. By which spirit he, Jesus, went and preached. This is the pre-incarnate God the Son, second person of the Trinity, filling with power and wisdom Noah. Before the flood, by which he went 
went and preached the spirits in prison. That is the pre-flood spirits who are now in prison. They weren't in prison then. This isn't talking about Jesus following his crucifixion, talking to people. It's talking about Jesus before the flood in Noah, talking to people. Preach to the spirits in prison who are now in prison, who formerly were disobedient when the when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. Noah spent 120 years doing a public, visible act that got him mocked. Can you imagine? You know, it's going to rain. It's never rained on planet Earth. The water, the ground is watered by artesian wells all over the world. It's never rained. And here's this guy, Noah, saying, it's going to rain. What's that? Well, the water's going to fall, and the, water, the earth was covered with a giant canopy of water above the atmosphere. You wonder why those people lived hundreds of years before the flood? Because that canopy did two giant things. The primary cause of aging sagging skin, organs starting to fail. The primary cause of aging is radiation coming in from outer space that keeps puncturing our hide and our organs. And finally, our body healing process just can't keep up. And so the skin starts to sag and the organs begin to fail. That canopy prevented that from happening at all. It was a perfect shield against the outer space radiation. And so the primary cause of aging didn't exist. Another thing is that put enormous pressure on the atmosphere. It was like living, you know what a hyperbaric chamber is? They have one down in San Antonio, I know that. You force oxygen into the body. No infections, no cancer oxygen is the enemy of those you talk about living in a healthy environment that was the pre-flood environment so people typically lived hundreds and hundreds of years this is before the flood the spirit of christ through noah spoke to those people who were disobedient before the flood waiting who once the, uh, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, Noah's building this for 120 years. It's not because that God couldn't make it. God could have just miraculously created an ark and said, okay, Noah, you get yourself and your family in there and say a sayonara. Instead, he spent 120 years testifying, testifying, testifying. And with the water ritual of baptism, instead of that, Noah had the ark as his public testimony. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. By the way, this is just incidental. The ancient Chinese language, Chinese is a pictograph. Like all Chinese, regardless if they speak Mandarin or Cantonese or one of the other versions of Chinese, they're totally different languages, but they can all read the same text because it's not based on the sound of their words, it's pictures. The picture in the Chinese language that depicts the word flood is the shape of a boat with eight mouths in it. Mouths are used to represent people. How many people were in the ark? Eight. 
And that's the Chinese word for flesh. The Chinese word for temptation is a woman sitting beside a tree holding a, an a, a fruit with a serpent in it. That's the Chinese word for temptation. Genesis chapter 3. This is what Noah did. And eight souls, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives, they alone, they went into the ark, and God shut the door. There, there is also an antitype, an answer, which now saves us, an answering thing to what Noah did in our life experience. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Baptism. Now, when we have a baptism ceremony, what do we do? We have the ritual of water baptism. But what's Peter pointing to? What's God the Holy Spirit through Peter's pen pointing to? But I'm not talking about the part of the baptism ritual that is the visual thing. It's the verbal thing. Because what happens also when a person is baptized? The person being baptized is asked, typically, by the baptizer, why are you here? I mean, this is just off the cuff. Why are you here? Because I have come to faith in Jesus, God the Son, as my Savior. And I want to make a public declaration. What's... What's the Holy Spirit here saying here through Peter's pen? It's not the part. I'm not talking about the part of the baptism ritual that is the water, as in Noah's day, it would have been the ark. Noah preached. The Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness. He didn't build the ark. He stood on a stump and yelled the gospel at the people. <laughs> year after year after year after year after year after year for 120 years probably before that. That's why he was rejected. There is an antitype which now saves us in the same way that Noah and his family were delivered from the judgment that fell on everybody else was because he took a public verbal stand for Christ. And when we are baptized, the person who is baptized is also making a verbal declaration so that the audience can understand what's this ritual talking about now where did baptism come from it's a levitical ritual from the law of moses john the baptist was a levitical priest and so he was telling the jewish people and whatever gentiles that had come who were proselytes to judaism god's creating a new kingdom you want to get in that kingdom you got to believe the message i'm speaking Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is Jesus of Nazareth. And then take a public stand and uh, you, there will be the accompanying baptism ritual, but you're not saved by the baptism ritual. You're saved by the declaration. Number one, that in your heart you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you have welcomed the redemption, the benefit. You've welcomed that. And now you're taking a public stand. And what happens? Matthew chapter 10. When you take that public stand, all of a sudden, all heaven's power. 
become is yours. Because you took a public stand, you confessed Christ on earth, and he confesses you before the throne of grace. And power starts to descend and flow through you that you did not have before. If you don't do that, if you quietly, well, I say I can privately believe in Jesus, but I'm just not going to really, I don't want to take the, the heat for in the world uh, for doing this. Jesus says, that's fine. And up in heaven, he's going, no, Jesus, you really need to be praying for me. I really need your help. Well, I need your help too, but since you're not willing to help me. Okay. I think I'll start confessing Jesus. Otherwise, I'm really going to get run over. And you start confessing Jesus, and all of a sudden, doors start flying open, and opposition rises up but can't stand before a simple disciple telling the truth. There is also an antitype, an, an answer to Noah's experience, which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, not the part of the ritual of the ceremony that involves the water, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. And by the way, the word answer here is the word answer that would be used in a legal deposition. Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. Because what happens, that person doing the baptism asks you a series of questions and you give the... What gives you the wild thought that you could possibly think that you, a sinner, have a welcome with the holy God? Answer. Because Jesus of Nazareth is God the Son, become man, so that fully man, true God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in a person, and he went to the cross in my place, took my judgment in my place, so that his holy Father could be completely free to forgive a sinner because the debt I owed to his holiness, heaven's law, has been paid in full. That frees the holy God to forgive me completely and remove the threat of perishing, that threat of hell from my future. Forever. There is also an end to type which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What gives you the confidence that that's real? Jesus rose from the dead. Just got on an airplane, fly to Jerusalem, we walk up to the empty tomb. There's the proof. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. And so he stands before the throne of God as my advocate and all of heaven's resources. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ can now be poured through me. I'll take that. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels, even fallen angels, and authorities, even all the pilots on the planet, and powers of every sort having been made subject to him. 
And when Jesus says, you're free, you're defended, you're protected, you are. We have a lady sitting right here on the front row, second row, who can give a testimony of physical protection and deliverance from the Lord Jesus Christ that drove her, no pun intended, because she was in a truck at the time, but he drove her in a different sense into the kingdom with that because everything is subject to him and he can take over the steering wheel. Am I correct? Yes. That's God's way. That's the Lord we have. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and just